Okay, good morning. Again, just taking a moment to settle. Settle into the body. To know the body sitting. And the body breathing. And as you check in with how you are now, just taking a moment to notice how is the body now? How is the heart-mind now? And how are you relating to this experience? Is there any attitude in the mind, perhaps of wanting or not wanting, clinging or resisting? And orient in the direction of relaxing releasing any tension or contraction that can be softened, released, relaxed. So that you can come more fully into this moment now, open and receptive. So last night I gave a very brief overview of the seven factors of awakening, those very refined and skillful qualities that support deep insight to arise And I also spoke a few nights ago about the four Brahma-Vihara heart qualities of kindness and compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity. And in the context of insight dialogue practice, Greg Kramer refers to the Brahma-Viharas as the four relational factors of awakening because they're also very refined and skillful qualities that open the heart and mind and expand out into our daily lives to transform our relationship with ourselves and everyone around us. Yesterday we spent some time exploring compassion. 
So this morning I'd like to focus on the one of the Brahma Viharas that's often spoken about the least, and that is mudita, or appreciative joy. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this one in particular because it can be a powerful antidote to one set of afflictive mind states that the Buddha referred to as mana, M-A-N-A. And this word mana is usually translated into English as conceit. But it refers to any tendency to think of oneself as better than, worse than, or even equal to anyone else. So mana refers to any type of comparing whatsoever. So in mainstream society, we tend to think of conceit as being superiority, and we recognize that that's not a good thing. But in the Buddha's teaching, thinking of oneself as inferior is seen as equally a form of conceit, equally harmful. And yet, as we know, our society, our upbringing, our families, our communities often seem to instill an inferiority feeling in so many of us, what I call lack mind, that basic feeling of lack of self-worth, of inadequacy, of not being good enough, and then the counterpoint, perfectionism, idealism. And that comparing mind can show up quite strongly and painfully in our relational practice, as some of you have been naming. When we sit in front of another human being, self-consciousness can flare up pretty strongly. And our default reaction to self-consciousness is usually first to try and avoid it in the first place. But then if it does come up, to try to hide it, deny it, repress it, fight it internally. But when sati and samadhi are strong, we have a powerful opportunity to bring the awakening factors and the brahma-viharas very directly to that self-consciousness, to meet it with kind curiosity, with openness, with interest. And then wisdom can see that self-consciousness is not unique to us. It's universal. It's just part of the experience of being human. It's impersonal. It arises due to conditions. And it will pass due to conditions. And then the compassion wing takes care of the pain of self-consciousness so that we can again be fully present to our own experience and to our dyad partner's experience. This tendency to compare oneself to others is deeply ingrained in us, though, and it was prevalent even at the time of the Buddha, since he specifically named mana, or comparing mind, conceit as a source of suffering. And the four Brahma-viharas are a very powerful antidote to that tendency. And in fact, one of the Pali words that's used to describe the Brahma-viharas is apamana, 
that same word mana is in there. Appamana means beyond measuring, beyond comparing, boundless, limitless. And so when we practice the Brahma-viharas, we're also training in appamana, non-comparing, non-measuring. And of the four Brahma-vihara qualities, it is perhaps mudita that most directly undermines the pain of comparing mind. Because it invites us to appreciate our own good qualities and good fortune and the good qualities and good fortune of others too. So here's the description of mudita from the passage that I read last night or the other night from Caroline Jones and Paul Burroughs. They define mudita as the love that celebrates. It's an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, upeka or equanimity brings the heart back into balance. Now, as some of you know, it's true that mudita is usually traditionally taught as appreciation for other people's happiness and good fortune. And we're told to exclude ourselves from that practice. But when I was exploring this uh, a few years ago now, I discovered that this idea of excluding oneself from mudita practice is a later development from after the time of the Buddha. And as far as we know, the original mudita practice at the time of the Buddha, it was described as simply gladness. And the instructions were to cultivate this sense of gladness and then allow it to radiate outwards in all directions to include all beings everywhere. So this capacity to celebrate our own and other people's happiness brings us many benefits. When we are able to generate this quality of mudita, our sense of separateness and lack diminishes. Because we're more in touch with our own strengths, we feel more ability to appreciate the strengths of others too. So we feel more connected kinder and more generous and these are all skillful mental states that support the development of wisdom we can more easily understand the truth of interconnectedness and we stop taking our problems quite so personally we recognize that all beings want to be happy just as we do and mudita can be a powerful catalyst support for the awakening factor of rapture or joy that I mentioned last night. So it can directly support the development of insight. So how do we actually practice mudita? As with all of the Brahma-vihara practices, we're encouraged to start where it comes most easily and to start small. So mudita doesn't have to be some kind of big ecstatic bliss state. It can be very light and fleeting and subtle. And just to acknowledge that for many people, even the word joy can feel like a stretch. So in your own practice, you might leave the word mudita untranslated. 
and just think of it as whatever word feels most accessible for you. Perhaps gladness or appreciation, lightness, so on. In my own mudita practice, I found it helpful to begin by orienting the heart and mind towards gratitude. Because when I'm in touch with what I can appreciate in my own experience, I'm less likely to feel the sense of lack or competitiveness that gets in the way of mudita. So as a training, we can get into the habit of noticing in the present moment any aspect of our experience that registers as pleasant, pleasant feeling tone, without grasping or pushing them away, just noticing whatever might be pleasant and allowing any natural response of appreciation to be there. So this morning I'll offer just a few suggestions at the beginning of our practice that might help to incline the heart and mind in the direction of mudita. And then you can let go of that practice and do whatever practice might feel most useful for you after that. <laughs> 